um, well, I don't know, about a week or so ago, no, a couple of weeks maybe, a song came to my attention and I was gripped by it immediately and foolishly said to my friend Jill, this would be amazing for communion. It's just beautiful. Do it, she said. And at that point, I thought, yeah, and I did. I said, yeah, straight away, thinking, I'm just going to go up. You're going to watch a lovely video, listen to the words, take communion, job done. And then God had some other ideas. And so um, it might be a bit longer than that. Well, it is a bit longer than that. So um, tuck in. On, on, the, on the table, I've put some papers and pens, um, just in case there were a couple of times I'm going to say, write this down. It's not compulsory. I forgot I'm not actually at school now teaching. <laughs> you might want to, and there might be other things that God might prompt you to, to write down as well as we go along. So I'm going to start at um, Luke 19. No, that's not Luke 19, that's Luke 5. But let's go to 19. It would be good. And um, it seems a might seem a very funny place to start for communion, but this is what I think God said, so let's go with it. As Jesus was passing through Jericho, a man named Zacchaeus, one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business, and of course a very rich man, tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowds. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree beside the road to watch from there. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down, for I am going to be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus hurriedly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the crowds were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, Sir, from now on, I will give half my wealth to the poor, and if I find I have overcharged anyone on his taxes, I will penalise myself by giving him back four times as much. Jesus told him, this shows that salvation has come to this home today. This man was one of the lost sons of Abraham, and I, the Messiah, have come to search for and to save such souls as his. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, one of the most despised people of the society. And he wasn't blessed with great height either. So when he wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus, he ran ahead and he climbed the tree to see over the crowds. But Jesus looked up and we hear he called him by name. Write this down. Jesus knows my name. And then he invited himself over to dinner with an undesirable, a man that was despised and spurned by his fellow Jews. I mean, whatever was he thinking? Luke 5 gives us the answer. I do need Luke 5 now. Jesus answered them, it is the sick who need a doctor, not those in good health. My purpose is to invite sinners to turn from their sins not to spend my time with those who think themselves already good enough. Jesus sees value in every person. And I'm going to say it again, but write it down. Jesus sees value in me. 
Zacchaeus did take Jesus to his house with great joy, we read. And we don't know how the conversation went there or how long the meal lasted, but we do know that transformation took place. And Zacchaeus truly repented. And because of this, Jesus told him, this shows that salvation has come to the house today. And as Jesus saved Zacchaeus, he came to save us too. So last one, can you write down, Jesus came to save me. As Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' table, he invites us all to his table too. And I thought this was where I was going to introduce you to the video. But this morning, the Holy Spirit woke me up with a few other thoughts. And so I wrote those down too. And I'm thinking, okay, which did you want me to say? But it appears that he wanted me to give it to you all. So have a drink. Judas and Peter, we were reminded, or I was reminded this morning, Jesus welcomed both of those to his table too at the Last Supper even though he knew what they were both going to do. One was going to hand him over, and the other was going to betray him, you know, never deny knowing him. Sometimes making room at our table may cost us. And again, this morning, the Holy Spirit reminded me a while ago, it was coming up for Christmas, actually, and I... Um, I got to a beautiful cafe in the posh part of town, Dulwich. And um, there was a lovely delicatessen, and it was lovely. And then went through to a little cafe, and there was, um, I want to say tramp, but we don't call them that anymore, do we? I don't know what politically correct name is. Down and out, maybe, I don't know. But he was clearly homeless, and he was asleep at a table, and very disheveled, and very... And it was, like I said, it was in this posh part of town. And um, I spoke to the owner and said, you know, how long? And he said, we found him there sleeping in, in the doorway this morning. So we let him come in and we gave him a hot drink and some food and we just said he can stay there. And it just really struck me. The price they were paying for that guy. I mean, people, they could have lost custom because of him, you know, but... And he was there. We were, I was there with my husband for quite a while, a good hour. And no, they didn't bother him. And occasionally he woke up and they would be gentle with him and speak with him. And I got as far as smiling at him and then offering to buy him a meal on my way out. But it just really struck me how they had gone for the one. They could have had people turn away, you know, and, and not got much more custom that day because they let this smelly person in. And it reminded me that Jesus goes after the one. And do I go after the one? Do we go after the one? Or do we still think about ourselves a bit much and what it costs us or what it might cost us? There is room for each and every one of us at Jesus' table. Well, there's nothing that we could have done or nothing that we may do that will disqualify us. Absolutely nothing. And the one thing that we have to do is say yes. Accept his invite.
So here is the said worship song. I'd let it play through and watch it and read it, absorb it, and then when you're ready, take communion with each other and bless each other. Thank you. Oh, who 
suffered losses Feeling God forsaken If your heart is broken There is a welcome here Bring your shame and sin You can rest in with Him He does not condemn you There is a welcome here You can come to Jesus taken of communion. You know, I'm supposed to preach after that message. Jan, you could, have just, you could have just stopped there. That was awesome. Holy Spirit, just lead me and guide me now. Help me to be the instrument that you've created me to be, to bring your word to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege. And that blessing. Let me not take it lightly. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us. Help us to hear what you want to say to each one of us now. Amen. <coughs> Amen. That was brilliant, Jane. Brilliant. So, we continue the series on the parables of Jesus. So far we've looked at the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, the parable of the mustard seed and yeast, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl and the parable of the net, the parable of the good Samaritan, and last week Andy took us through the parable of the bags of gold, sometimes called the parable of, tal of the talents. Today I'll be looking at another parable that, that has to do with wealth or riches. As I'm looking at the parable 
of the rich fool. It's only found in one of the four Gospels. It's in Luke's Gospel in chapter 12. So let's read it. Someone in the crowd said to him, this is to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for him, but is not rich towards God. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Can't help but reading verse 20, where it says, But God said to him, You fool. We're just thinking of B.A. Baracus in, from the A-team, you know, just speaking out fool the way he did it then. It's just like, you're an idiot. You're a fool. Um, but it's just an amazing passage of Scripture, and it actually follows a whole lot of important things that Jesus just said. He'd been addressing the crowd on several topics. He'd been speaking about being wary of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, of not being afraid of those who could kill our bodies, rather to fear God who can kill us and throw us into hell. Um, he'd been speaking about the man, that man is more valuable than a flock of sparrows, that he knows every hair on our head. If we are not scared to acknowledge God publicly, then Jesus will acknowledge us in the heavenly realms. That we are not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and we are to trust the Holy Spirit to teach us what to say when we are brought to trial for our faith. So he's been speaking on these things, and then he comes into where this man speaks out from the crowd. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So there's been some deep teachings when this man cries out. And why did he do this? At the time of Jesus, the rabbis, the teachers of the law, were normally involved in arbitrating in family situations of feuds and disagreements, almost like a magistrate of today. It was culturally acceptable. That's what they did. They were the guardians of the law, and were thus used to settling family disputes when they arose. This man, in calling Jesus teacher, is acknowledging him as a rabbi, and thus wants him to settle the problem he is having with his brother by telling his brother to sort out, without delay, the inheritance from their late father's estate. By all accounts, he is the younger brother, and therefore not responsible for sorting out the estate. Also, if there were just the two of them, he inherits a much smaller portion than his older brother. At that time, if there were two sons, the estate would be divided into three equal parts, and two-thirds of it would go to the older son, and one-third would go to the younger son. If there were more kids, the oldest son, there were more sons, 
um, the oldest son would always get a double portion of the inheritance. So if there were four sons, the estate was divided into five, he would get two portions, the other four would get one portion each. And, um, but he would then also be with the oldest son would be responsible for any unmarried sisters that were in the household, um, providing the dowry for when they got, got married, if their father had not set anything aside for them already. Um, so that was why he got the double portion. And the way the man is asking Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him could also be looked at at him asking Jesus to tell him to divide the inheritance in half, in equal portions, and saying, I'm actually wanting more than what I should be getting. He didn't want just his traditional single portion. And Jesus doesn't get involved in settling this issue. He doesn't even speak into it. But he uses it as a teaching opportunity and speaks about the harmfulness of greed by telling this parable. Now, do you know that Jesus spoke more about money than he did, that he did in, uh, on prayer? He spoke more about money than he did on prayer. That might astound you, but he knew the things that gripped man's heart. Most people are more concerned about money than prayer. And you'd think that Jesus would have it the other way, of speaking about more about the, the prayer, if we're more involved with money and not on prayer. But it's, it's why Jesus speaks so much about this, because people get gripped with money and money matters. Now, God is not against rich or wealthy people, not at all. He loves them just the same as everyone else, as Jan said during um, the, the communion. He's not against people working hard and making lots of money. But he's more concerned about why they do it and what they do with their wealth. Money is not evil. Some people think that, but it's not true. They misquote what Scripture says about it. It's the love of money that is the problem. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. How many times have we said that about God? Like he's promised us, he'll never leave us or forsake us. And we say that quite regularly. But did, did you realize that, that it's to do with finances? With God providing for us. His provision will always be there for us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. Um, God is our provider. He's, the, support, he's the, the source of all our supply. His promise to never leave us or forsake us is in regarding our needs and provisions. We can trust Him to always bless and provide us when we recognize Him as our source. What do we know about this man in the parable? Firstly, he was already rich. How rich, we don't know. Not rich enough to retire on, on what he has, and not rich enough to not plant his fields and live off what he really, already had. But he must have been close to being in that position, in thinking about being able to do it after one more bumper crop. Because it was after this wonderful blessing, this bumper crop, that he says, now nah, I can take it easy. Secondly, he's alone. He has no one to discuss his situation with. 
He has to think to himself, or talk to himself, as some translations put it. He's not, he's not able to share his situation with a friend or family member to ask for advice. Now, in the Jewish culture at that time, a person in his situation would consult his friends and family members about what they think he should do with this abundance that has been produced on his land. That was the norm. The, the elders of the town or the city would gather together and they would, they would discuss their problems. They would have people to share with. But this man had no one. He was isolated. He was on his own. He was alone. Thirdly, he's selfish. His barns are already full. He hasn't even used up or sold off or given away the grain harvested the previous season. That's why his barns are full. He hasn't got space in his barns. If he has to look to building bigger barns. He has no thought of sharing his blessings with anyone. Least of all with his workers, which he would have had. There's no ways he would have been able to farm his land without workers. His only thoughts are about himself and his life. Fourthly, he has no regard for God. He does not acknowledge God for the good crop that has been produced. He does not consult God about what to do with his God-given blessing. He only focuses on himself and how he can live a carefree and easy life. It's the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. He has forgotten God's word to his people about where our ability to produce wealth comes from. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Way back in that time, God spoke to the people of Israel and said, I will give you the ability to produce wealth. And it's the same today. God gives us the ability to produce wealth. He's given it, given it to us, and we need to recognize that, and therefore ask God, what we should do with the wealth we ha we've produced. He's given us the ability to produce it. Let's ask him why, why he's blessed us with that and what are we to do with it. The wealth we produce is not ours, but the Lord's, that he has entrusted to our care. So what can we learn from this parable? The first thing we can learn is the warning G G Jesus gives even before he tells the parable. Verse 15, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be on your guard against greed. Greed causes us to be people who just want to take and take and take, no matter how much we already have. Greed causes us to think only of ourselves and not to think of others and their needs. Which leads to the second part of that verse, that our life is not about possessions. Our life is not about possessions. For many people, their life is defined by their possessions. The house and the area that they live in. The car or cars that they own and drive. The clothes brands and watches that they wear. The laptop, tablet or phone that they use. I could go on and on with this list. 
That's what defines them. If it's not the best, they don't want it. Or the most expensive, they don't want it. And oftentimes, the, the most expensive is not always the best. Possessions are temporary. We cannot take them with us when we die. They are status symbols in this life for many people, but mean absolutely nothing in eternity. When the tombs were opened in Israel, the Pharaoh's tombs were opened in Israel, all the possessions that they had that had been buried with them were still there. The bodies were rotted or if they were preserved well, they were still there, but the Pharaoh had nothing with him. He was dead. Couldn't take it with him, even though it was stuck in his tomb. God is not going to ask us what we possessed when we stand before him. He already knows and is not interested in that. But rather, he's going to ask us, what did we do with the blessings he blessed us with? Now, looking at this parable, what can we learn from it? Firstly, God does not want us to be alone so that we have no one to talk about issues we are facing and choices we have to make. God puts the lonely into families, according to Psalm 68 and verse 6. He wants us to be part of a family, a community, a church, and not separated from society. Church is meant to be a family, a place where we belong and are loved and cared for, a place where we love and care for others, a place to share our problems and get support and help and advice to deal with them, and also to be available to others, to help them when they find themselves in those situations. God wants us to acknowledge Him and what He has done for us, and come to Him for guidance and direction, asking Him what we are to do with what He has blessed us with. God wants us to think of others and be generous with what He has blessed us with. God wants us to recognize that all material possessions belong to Him, and they are just on loan to us. He wants us to be good stewards with what we have been given. God also wants us to know that human life is on loan from Him. It is a gift, not a right. Our life is a gift from God. Lastly, God wants us to be rich towards Him, and not ourselves. And the way we do that is being generous towards others with what we have been blessed. I just loved the illustration that Jan used of going into that cafe and there was this homeless man sitting at the table and the owners of the cafe had taken him in and put him at that table, fed him and left him there to sleep and they would give him whatever he wanted. They weren't worried about what other customers would say or do. And as she said, if they lost any other custom during that day, they weren't concerned about it. They weren't thinking about themselves. They were thinking about this man, a fellow human being, and blessed him with what they had been blessed with, their business. They could afford to do that. And even if they couldn't afford to, do, to give it to him, they blessed him with it, which was wonderful. Just such a, an amazing example. So there's a lot for us to get from this parable. Let's have a look at the discussion questions, because that's the end of the message. Um, firstly, what did you learn from today's message? Secondly, how much of a role does God get to play in your finances, in your budgeting and spending?
Thirdly, how often do you thank God for the possessions that you've been blessed with? Fourthly, how easy would it be for you to give up your possessions if, if God called you to do it? And then lastly, pray for one another. We're going to end the, the live stream now, and uh, we'll put up the Zoom, and you guys get on with the discussions here in the hall, and we'll join those. I'll get the Zoom set up for those that are going to be on that. Thank you.